Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Next time I see you, you will probably be uh, a lot fuller, a few pounds heavier. So have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy it. We have a wonderful health and wellness series coming up in our future. So get it out of your system now. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope and I'm, I'm praying for you that Thanksgiving and this whole holiday season is really a great time for you to be with friends and loved ones. And, and I'm also praying if, if these holidays bring up hurt or pain at all, that God would be redeeming that, would be working in your life and would be drawing you to himself so that uh, you would find joy and excitement in this time. Well, I got to tell you, there are a few things that I'm really excited about. So we're going to jump into the message in a minute. We're going to wrap this whole Beyond series that we've been in for six weeks. We're going to wrap that up tonight. But before we do that, I have a few things I want to talk to you about. So in your programs, you're going to find your teaching notes. You're going to want to get those out at some point. In your programs, you're also uh, going to find your connect card. It says start here on one side, connect card on the other side. You're going to want to get that out at some point. You're going to want to be filling that out. By the way, if you're new with us, uh, give us as much information as you're comfortable with. Uh, we don't want to pressure you. We don't want to stress you out. But we assume you're here because on some level you want to connect. Connect with God, connect with other people. And we want to help you do that. So be filling those two things out. Uh, like I've said for the last few weeks, but maybe you've missed it or haven't been around, uh, we are in something very exciting that we're calling Season of Giving. The season of giving is simply this. We thought uh, as we go into this holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, we want to do something to get beyond ourselves, to love beyond ourselves, to live beyond ourselves, and to give beyond ourselves. And so as a staff team, we put together six different ways that we as a church could be loving, giving, and living beyond ourselves. Because we really believe with everything that we have and everything that we are, that we experience more life, more joy, more peace, more fun when we're giving and living beyond ourselves, when we're caring for other people and not just meeting our own needs. And so we highlighted six things, and there have been some really great uh, results so far. The first week we talked about the turkey party. We were uh, trying to get turkeys for Redwood Gospel Mission. As a New Life community, we gathered more turkeys than we ever have in the history of our church. We gathered 213 turkeys, and two just got added on today. So 215 turkeys, which is pretty darn awesome. Yeah, that's pretty fun. I did a, some quick math out there. We're up around 150 shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child right now. So we're meeting needs. We're doing really great stuff. I want to highlight another area to serve. So for the next couple of weeks, I'll be highlighting one new area that you could get plugged into. And just a note, I'm not doing this so that you'll have six more things you feel like you have to do this holiday season. We're doing this so you could pick one or two things, something that you could do with your friends, your roommates, your family to live and give beyond yourselves. But I want to talk about uh, the red kettle drive that Salvation Army does every year. And by the way, if you don't have a season of giving brochure, there are like 200 of them or 300 of them out in the lobby. So there's plenty. Take one, take two, take 10, you know, do whatever you want with those. They're good stuff and they look really nice, by the way. So make sure you grab one. Um, the Red Kettle Drive is simply this. Salvation Army, over the course of this next year, is hoping to feed and care for four and a half million people. And the Red Kettle Drive is a key way where they raise support so they can do that, care for four and a half million people. Uh, and what they are looking for locally is people who would take an hour or two hours and step out of their comfort zone, step beyond themselves, and be the person to man the red kettle. So you would go out there, you'd hang out, you'd tell jokes, sing songs, you'd say, hey, if you give a few dollars, I won't look at you or talk to you or make you feel awkward. I mean, whatever you need to do, you could just do that. Thank you, Ron. That was pretty funny. Um, uh, so you could just kind of do that and have fun with it. 
If that's something you're interested in, you're going to want to grab one of these brochures. Inside, there's a phone number. You'll call the number, and then you will uh, set up a time where you could do this Red Kettle Drive with Salvation Army. So want to highlight that. It's very fun. I am excited about the way New Life's going to be partnering with the Salvation Army in this coming year. One other thing I want to highlight is on November 30th, uh, we're going to be doing what we call, have come to call our Poker for Presents, No Hold'em, Texas, Texas, no Hold'em, Texas. You wouldn't think that I made it to the final table a couple years ago since I can't even say it. It's the card game where you have a lot of fun and we're going to do it. Texas, Hold'em, No Limit. Thank you, me. Thank you, you, back in the background. Thank you, Joe. He's giving me the thumbs up. Here's what the tournament is. November 30th, Poker for Presents. We get in here, we change this whole room around. We've got tables all over the place. We've got things on the screens. We've got food. We've got a whole bunch of donated prizes that you can win. And we basically have this huge tournament. It goes well into the night. The cost is $25 just to get in to donate for the tournament and all the proceeds for it. This is the best part of the whole thing. All the proceeds for it go to buy presents for families who are in COTS, which is the Committee on the Shelterless here in Petaluma. So what you're doing is you're coming, you're having a fun night, getting to know people, uh, playing some poker. You don't have to have any skill. They do a tutorial in the beginning, and it's just a really, really fun time. So that's November 30th. Uh, You can get tickets out at the Activities Hub, or you can sign up online. But I wanted to keep that on your radar. Very fun. I look forward to to seeing you guys there. Um, that's all the excitement I have. Amen. God bless you. Go home. Have a great night. No, I'm just kidding because tonight we're going to talk about something uh, that I had a whole sermon written for tonight about two and a half weeks ago. And then this last week I was praying and our staff team was praying and fasting together. And on Wednesday, I felt like God was saying, that's not the sermon to preach. You got to preach a different one. So I got here Thursday morning early and I rewrote the whole thing, which always makes me a little nervous, always makes our our folks a little nervous. But I believe God has something for us tonight that he wants to take us to. So let's pray together and then we're going to see what he wants to do in our community. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this space. Thank you for the, the truth of the words that we sing. And I would ask God on behalf of my friends who are here and of myself that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, that those words are true, Uh, that your love is so incredible and deep and amazing that even while we were still far from you, you you died for us. You gave your only son uh, to redeem us, to heal us, to restore us, and to bring us back. I pray, Lord, that you would take the words that I'm about to speak tonight. Uh, You would use them. You would translate them from our ears and our heads down into our hearts so that we could experience transformation. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we're wrapping up our Beyond series. And if you're just catching us on the tail end, I want to do a quick overview of where we've been and where we're going. So here it is. You ready? Quick overview. Paul, the author of Romans, is writing this book to a group of people in Rome. And we've been in chapter 8 this whole time. But back in chapter 7, Paul says this. He makes the statement that I think every single person, whether you're a Jesus person or not, every person would resonate with and agree with this statement. You might not believe the reason that Paul says it happens, but you at least know that it does happen in your life. Here's what Paul says, and here's what I think you would agree with. Paul says, the things that I want to do, I can't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I seem to keep doing over and over and over again. He says, the things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I I keep doing. And It doesn't matter if you're a a Jesus person, not a Jesus person, wherever you come in tonight, I know you've had experiences where you walked out of that conversation, you walked out of that job, you walked out of that place, you said that thing, you did that thing, and you thought to yourself, why did I do it again? 
That's the very thing I didn't want to do, didn't want to say. That's the one place I told myself I would never go again. And here I go there again. And Paul gives us a reason why we do this thing. And this is where you might not agree, but at least hear Paul out because we all believe that there's the same problem. And Paul says the problem is this. He says there's this thing living in you called sin. And he, he turns sin into a noun, a thing. He says there's this, there's this thing living in you, and this thing living in you controls you, and it causes you to do the things you don't want to do, and it keeps you from living the life and doing the things and being the person you were created to be and doing the things that you do want to do. And Paul gets to the end of himself in Romans chapter 7. He says this. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, what a wretch. I'm, I'm horrible. I'm at the end because I keep, I keep doing these things that I don't want to be doing. He says, who will save me? And I love that. Who will save me? He doesn't say what will save me. He doesn't say how will I get saved. He doesn't say give me the next self-help book. Give me four keys, three tips, two words, one sentence that will save me. He says, who will save me? And he answers that question by this. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who rescues us, who redeems us, who restores us, who takes us away from this sin thing living in us and brings us to a place of freedom. And then throughout Romans chapter 8, we've just been exploring in different ways, in different capacities, how he brings that freedom. And, and we'll, we'll say this, because again, it's not three things, it's not two tips, it's not one word. Here's what Paul says is that thing that frees us. He says, you want to know how to be in freedom? You want to know how to live a life beyond anything you can do on your own, anything you can manufacture? Do you want to know what it's like to have a life beyond your wildest dreams? This is what you do. Don't go read a new book. Don't go to a new guru. Don't do any of these things. He says, walk in the Spirit of God. To which we all say, what on earth does that mean? Come on, give me some rules. Give me a list. Give me something. I, walk in the Spirit of God. That, that, okay, Paul, you're, you're kind of crazy and old. I don't really get you. Here's what he's saying when he says walk in the Spirit. He basically means this. Get into it with God. Get into a relationship with God where the Holy Spirit takes the place of that sin. There was that sin thing that was controlling you, but get into a, such a, a face-to-face, one-on-one, intimate, deep encounter with God where the Spirit of God now controls you. And he says things like, walk by the Spirit, which basically means this. Don't get too far ahead of God to where he's way back in the distance and you kind of call him to catch up. Don't let God get too far ahead of you where he's saying, hey, walk with me, do these things. And you're saying, yeah, yeah, I will in a few years. I will when I graduate college. I will when I get married. I will after I retire. He says, be sensitive to God now. Walk in God's Spirit now. And then you'll experience freedom. Because Paul says there's a better way to live than this whole, the things I want to do, I can't do, and the things I don't want to do, I keep doing. He says, you weren't created to live that way. The truth is, you don't want to live that way. You get mad at yourself for living that way. And I don't, I'm not even talking about what the Bible says you should and shouldn't do. You have things you think you should and shouldn't do. And I have things I think I should and shouldn't do. And we do the opposite anyway. He's saying, that's no way to live. So he says, walk by the Spirit, experience freedom. And then we've been looking at different things like, we need to draw close to God, and we need to be aware of the fact that there's an enemy. If there's a God who's all good, 
There's an enemy, the devil, who's all bad, and he's a liar, and he tells lies to us, and all these different things we don't want to be doing that we keep doing, they really stem from lies that we're believing. And so as we get face-to-face with God, as we draw near to him, all of a sudden what happens is he begins to expose those lies, replace them with truth, and then he gives us the power to live in that truth, and we get accountability and friendships, people that draw us together. And we begin to have the life like James talks about in the book of James, where he says, if you draw near to God— then God will draw near to you. Now, he's not saying that God is distant. God is actually here. God's all around us. We were praying before the service with a group of volunteers, and the reality just became very clear to me. God is, is here moving and active, but it's not until we draw close to him that we actually experience that, feel that, know that. So there's a quick catch-up. That's where we've been, and here's how Paul kind of puts a bow on it. And I believe you guys have a starting in verse 35. I hope you do. We're going to pick up in verse 35 of Romans chapter 8, and we're going to kind of wrap this whole thing together. Here's what Paul says in uh, verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. Chapter 8. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship separate us from the love of Christ? Should persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword separate us from the love of Christ? Let's pause there for just a second because, let's be honest, when times get tough, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, when times get tough, that's when we really begin to question, is God close? Does God care? Does he really love me? They're talking about things like persecution. When you are, are ribbed, I mean, our persecution we have is like this big, but like he was talking big persecution. And just a few years after Paul wrote this letter, people, Christian people were being burned at the stake at what was called Roman candles. They were being burned up. They were being beheaded. They were being fed to lions. I mean, they were facing persecution. And so he says, even when persecution comes, does that mean God doesn't love you? Does that mean you're separate from God? No, absolutely not. God is close and God loves you. Because he knows the question that you're going to ask when hardship comes or nakedness, when I don't have any money, not even enough money to buy clothes, does that mean that God has left me? And Paul says, no, nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ. So he says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or, or danger or the sword, because as it's written, and he quotes a, a psalm, where God's people had been taken into captivity. And he says this, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he comes back to his original point. In all these things, in all these things we just talked about, we are more than conquerors through God who loved us. Then he says, because I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, Neither the present, what's happening now, or anything that will happen in the future, or any powers, which were like the political rulers. So like if your person didn't win in this election, don't worry, because not even powers can separate us, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we hear that, and and let's be totally honest. We're intelligent people. And this is an easy verse for us to understand intellectually. Can anything separate us from the love of God? No. That's what it says. Nothing can separate you. There's not one darn thing. This is easy to get here. The problem is, it's hard to feel that sometimes, isn't it? Because troubles and hardships and persecution or or danger or money gets tight or 
We get into it with our spouse or our friends, and all of a sudden we begin to wonder here if God loves us. But Paul says this is a heart-level thing. And there's a problem if we don't understand in our heart that God loves us, at the depth of who we are. Because the truth is our decision-making, our focus, our energy, the long-term health of our lives is not actually determined by what's here. That's why Paul doesn't give us a whole bunch more rules. But it's determined by what we believe here. Uh, The scriptures say that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Basically what he's saying is the things that you focus on that get translated to your heart, they determine who you are. And Paul wants us to know not at this level, but at this level, because this is the level that holds us. This is the level that drives us. And the truth is, whether you think you're a feeling type person or not, we all have feelings and we all want to feel close to God. Uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about romantic movies because I'm going to be honest with you. I like romantic movies. Like, sometimes I'll try to convince Maria that I'm renting one at Redbox for her, but really kind of I want to see it. And, and some, of you, some of you husbands are like, you're getting me in trouble, Kevin, right now. Um, listen, I like guy movies too. I'm going to go see The Hobbit in December when it comes out. I can't wait. Like, I'm a man, man movie. Yeah, amen. Yeah, amen. We'll do it for Frodo and Bilbo. That's fantastic. I like romantic movies, but here's the thing that I find about romantic movies. I don't know about you, but I find myself cheering for the hero or the heroine in a romantic movie regardless of what they've actually done because emotionally I am drawn to them. So I remember in college, I had ended this couple-year relationship with this gal, and, and it was good that it ended. It was right that it ended, and she had moved to Australia, which is perfect. That's where you want your ex-girlfriends to go. That's, you know, that's where they used to send prisoners back in the day, so that's perfect. Like, go to Australia. Excellent. And I watched this movie, Sweet Home Alabama. And in this movie, there's this couple, and they got married way too young for the wrong reasons, whatever. And then they split up, and she's about to marry this, like, dreamy guy over here. But she finds out she's still in love with her her ex. And so she leaves her fiancé at the altar. Her mother punches out the groom's mother. And then she goes to her ex-husband, who she's still actually married to. It's really weird. And then they kiss, and the credits roll. It's, it's, It's whatever. It is what it is. I actually, it's a true story, confession time, I actually wrote an email to my ex-girlfriend living in Australia the next morning after watching that movie saying, hey, maybe we missed something. I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but my heart, my heart was guiding me. See, this is where it's important that our brain tells our heart what it should focus on, which is why it's so important that our mind focuses on the things of God and then translates them to our heart. But our heart is the thing that guides us. And so Paul wants us not just to have this rule-based relationship. That's why he doesn't go into Romans 8 with a list of rules. He actually says that the rules are the things that are killing us. Because the rules, the law that he talks about in the Bible, the law just tells you what you shouldn't do. The law just tells you what you shouldn't have done, not how to fix it. So he says, instead of rules, what about a relationship? What about an intimate encounter with your creator? What about God's spirit living in you and dwelling in you and guiding you? He says, if you have that kind of relationship at this level, Nothing can separate you from the love of God. God has done everything on his end to open the door. And then he leaves the ball in in your court and in my court. And if you don't believe me, look at John chapter 3. Because Jesus says in John chapter 3, he's talking about himself. He says, For God loved you and loved me so much that he gave his only son. He gave me so that whoever believes in me would not perish but would have everlasting life. You've probably heard this verse, John 3, 16. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, But he sent me to save the world. 
He's done everything. He sent Jesus into the world to save the world. And now the ball's in our court. Uh, I'll tell you about a better relationship, the relationship I have with my wife. This is a good one. It ended well. So far, so far, so good. Um, our first date, Maria's my first date. Uh, she's sitting over there. By the way, she loves it when you stare at her. If you, it makes her feel good when you look over at her. She gets real red. It's very fun. Uh, we're, hey, we're all friends here. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get it later. Right. Our first date, I was taking a seminary class out in Wisconsin. That's where she was living. And so I just happened to, I guess I had to go out there for a class, whatever. Uh, and I said to her, because I wanted to go on a date, but didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of time. I said, hey, I want to take you on a date. Where's the closest cheap movie theater? And so let's just, let's do a cheap movie. And we should probably get some dinner. So is there like a Wendy's or something close to it? And she was like, yeah, yeah, there is. So we went to Wendy's and then we went to the cheap theaters to watch Kingdom of Heaven. That was our first date. Good movie about uh, the Crusades and like a lot of blood and stuff. And um, well, a while later, I, I fell in love with Maria and miraculously, somehow she fell in love with me. I, I'm still trying to figure that out. So a while later, I thought it's time to propose to her. Realizing I didn't start off well with the first date, I, I realized it was better to, to fix this one. And so I said to myself, I said, self, do something good. So I got online, found out what time the sun set. I was in Southern California at the time. Uh, she was flying out. And so right at sunset, I found a clear day. I drove her to Newport Beach, where Catalina, you could see Catalina in the distance. It was gorgeous. Uh, and right as the sun is setting, I knew what time it was. I look, you know, it's going down perfect. Right as the sun's setting, I, I propose to her, and she says yes, and we kiss, and, uh, and then we literally, we look out, and I'm not making this up, dolphins start jumping in the distance. And it was like, thank you. You know, it's like, <laughs> nice. Now, what was it that made my first ask so lame and my proposal so good? Love. Love. See, Because I loved Maria so much, it drew me to make a big ask of her. It drew me to make the right ask. It drew me to proposal. John 3.16 tells us something that, that just started to strike me recently. If we picture God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and your head's going to start to spin here, as being always together, eternal. Before there was time, there was these three, and they were one, but they were somehow a community And at one point, God said to Jesus, he said, I love you and you and you. I love all these people so much. Jesus, will you take on human flesh and will you go down and be with them? Will you cease to be where you are in heaven on your throne and go and be with people and be mistreated and be abused and be ridiculed and have your family say you're crazy and be beaten to within an inch of your life and then be forced to carry the device that would kill you? And then would you be crucified? Because God knew the whole story. He said, would you do that? And here's why he asked the question. Because God loves you so much that he said to Jesus, would you just give up everything? Everything. Would you come to earth as a sacrifice for these people? Because I love them so much that I'm going to make the ultimate ask of you. See, the more you love, the bigger you ask. The greater the love, the bigger the ask. The first date, there was no love. She just just really nice and smoking hot. The proposal, there was this deep love. And that love drew me to make the big ask. I didn't, I didn't go up to her and say, hey, would you date me for the next 30 years? That'd be great. No, I said, will you marry me? Would you commit your life to me? I want to commit my life to you. The greater the love, the bigger the ask. 
and I'm going to start talking about some things, and I realize I've had a lot of coffee, and I realize I talk quickly, so I just want us to say something together. Say, ask. Can we say that for me? Ask. Okay. Now, I'm going to say something, and you're going to think something, so get your mind out of the gutter. Don't think that thing. Think this thing. But if you ever hear that thing, I want you to think back to this thing. Okay? Does that seem fair? Okay. You don't know where I'm going. You're just going to have to trust me. Okay. Excellent. Let's go. You've got your disclaimer. Look at what happens next. Look what happens next. Whoever believes in me, in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in me stands condemned already. Condemned means guilty, separate, not experiencing this relationship because they have not believed in the name of God's only Son. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God because we've entered into a personal relationship with him because he's done everything for us because God made the ultimate ask. He asked Jesus to come and to die and to live. And as I was fasting this last week, the thing that kept coming up to me over and over and over again is that God wants me, and I believe God wants us, to love people the way that he loves people. I want to be so close to God that I experience an overwhelming love, both here and here, for his people. Because he loves them so much that he made the ultimate ask. He asked his son to go through something that no father could ever ask their son, except that his son is God. And here's what I'm realizing. God loves And I won't even say you, but hopefully you would say this as well, that you realize this. God loves my neighbors, Rob and Rhonda. He loves my coworkers. They're all Christians, by the way, in case you're wondering. He loves my kids and my spouse and my parents with an incredible love. God loves your neighbors and your coworkers. And your parents and your kids with this incredibly deep love, so love that he, he made the ultimate ask. He asked Jesus to die on, on a cross. And now he's left it to us to draw people in. So here's what I'm, I'm realizing about this Sunday night service. As I was praying for us, praying for you, we're kind of like a church plant. I don't know if you've, you've thought about that or not. When a church plant, it gathers together a group of 50 or 60 people, or sometimes less, sometimes more, and it says, hey, we're going to try something new because we believe that God's trying to do something and we want to be part of it. And that's what we did. We said to the whole church, hey, we want to try a night service because we believe that there are people in our city who can't or won't come to church on Sunday morning, and we want to create space for them to come on Sunday night. And, and there are about maybe 60, maybe 70 of us in here who we said, we're going to do it. And so we're trying new things, and sometimes they succeed, sometimes they fail. We didn't do name tags for a while. We've tried name tags for the last two weeks simply because we want us to be talking to each other so we can get to know us a little more. Um, and, and we're kind of like this real funky new thing that's happening. And I believe that God wants us And I'm not talking about Sunday morning church. I'm not talking about other churches. I'm talking about us. So I just want to talk to us for a minute. The 60 of us in this room. I believe God wants us to know him and to love him in such a way that it breaks our hearts when we see people out in the street, our next door neighbors, 
our friends, our kids, our spouse, not knowing Jesus. I would say it this way. As Jesus followers, we need to love people enough to make a big ask and invite them to encounter God. See, we have a God who loved us enough that he made a big ask of Jesus, and I believe he wants us to be big ask Christians. I told you, get your mind out of the gutter. My mom was the first one to laugh, by the way. That's awesome. That is awesome. Look around you for a second. Every week, I spend about 45 minutes pulling out the back three rows of chairs because I don't want us to feel like, hey, this place is too big and it's kind of empty or whatever. I left them up this week simply so that we could look around. Look around for a minute. This is a big-ask room. It is. This is a big room where we can ask people to come. It's not like we're limited by space. Did you hear our worship team today? They are, they're good. I mean, they're really good. Like, I can't do that. A couple weeks ago, my mic accidentally turned on during worship, and my wife was back in the back. She immediately hit her friend and said, his mic's on, because I can't do what they do. And no disrespect for any other worship team. Our worship teams we have, they're big-ask worship teams, because you could invite anyone, and they would love this worship team. They might even like the music. They'd love the worship team. Me, you know, for better or for worse, you never know what you're going to get, you know? For better or for worse, some of your friends are going to say, wow, okay, him, huh? Okay, great. Well, I'll come. Others are going to be totally captivated. But we've got Ron, you know, like Ron comes in and he, he holds it down for us. We are a church that is set up to reach our cities. If we would make the big ask. And so I just want to talk for a few minutes because I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, that's scary. I couldn't do that. I have teachers come up sometimes and say, hey, if I talk about Jesus uh, at school, I'll get fired. And I've never met a teacher who's gotten fired ever for that. But it's like a fear, and I get it. Like, I get it. My family's in education. I get that fear. But, but what if we said, I'm afraid that if I don't talk about Jesus at work, if I don't invite my friends, that they'll spend eternity separated from God. I'm afraid of that, and that's the thing that keeps me up at night. And I know that if I lose my job because of that, God will give me another job over here. Listen, I know it's scary. We get nervous. What if I invite someone to church and they say no, or they think I'm awkward, or I am awkward, and I just kind of like vomit church onto them, like I throw a postcard at them, and I get it scary. Listen, I was here yesterday morning, and there was a sorority meeting. A group of sorority sisters from Sonoma State, 85 of them, were going to be over at, um, at the KOA, pouring down rain. They came here and said, can we meet at the church? So we said, yeah, meet at the church. Go ahead. We got this space. So I walk in. There's all these sorority sisters there, 85 of them. And uh, someone from our church says, hey, Kevin, can you come in and just say hi and introduce yourself? And maybe you want to invite them to church. Okay, it's terrifying, terrifying going into 85 sorority sisters. I mean, I was scared, especially when I started to talk to them and they all spoke in perfect unison. And it was like, I mean, it's a whole sentence, not just a word, whole sentences together. I was like, wow, this is scary. But you know what I did? Because I've been praying all week and fasting, I talked for about five minutes, and then I said, I would love for you to come to church here. And you know what? A handful of them are going to start coming. And then they're going to invite their friends, and they're going to invite their friends, and God's going to do something through that. Listen, it is scary. I get it. I get nervous every time I go to invite someone. I had a realtor come over to our house because they— our house, the house we rent just keeps getting sold. It's like it's been sold twice now. It just keeps getting sold. I don't know what's going on. But a realtor came over, and so I was just talking to him. I just asked him, hey, do you go to church? 
Do you want to? You know, here's my card. Come on over. I want us to make a, a big ask, even though there's no guarantees. Listen, when God asked Jesus to come to earth, there was no guarantee that everyone would respond positively to him. And in fact, many haven't. But he still went. Why? Because love compelled him to go. There's no guarantee your friends will say yes or your spouse will say yes, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't ask. If we really believe that God wants to do something through us tonight at this night service, really wants to do something, it's going to be us doing it. It's going to be us asking. The other thing you might be thinking is, I'm not perfect. Okay, neither am I. Guess what? Uh, my wife and my parents are right there. They can attest to the fact that I am not perfect either. Listen, we've all got our junk. It's not about being perfect. It's about having an intimate relationship with God. It's about being vulnerable and real with Him. And listen, the more we walk with Him, the more we walk away from the junk, the sin, the stuff that used to hold us down. It's just about being real and being honest and inviting. I've been praying and dreaming for us. And this is, this is just really what God's been doing. And this is the whole where God took our sermon on a right turn. You might be sitting here thinking, I don't even know what's going on, but this is something I just, I had to talk about tonight with you. I've been praying and dreaming that we, Sunday night, this group, 60 people, would fall so deeply in love with God and would believe with everything in us that God can use us, that we would go out and we would make the big ask to everyone, to anyone, to 10 people a week, to 20 people a week. Everyone we see, hey, you want to come to church? You want to come to church? Hey, do you have a faith background? Hey, do you ever have questions about God? Hey, we're doing this thing at my church. We're playing poker. You want to come play poker with me? Hey, we got this tea coming up. You want to come have some tea with me? Whatever it is, that we would be a group of people who's so passionately in love with God that we would be big-ask Christians. I mean big-ask Christians. Out of the gutter, people. What if that happened? What, what if that, I mean, think, just, think, just think about it. What if that happened? Not for our whole city. Not for the 15 or so churches in Petaluma. Not even for all of New Life. We had like, I don't know, 400 people here this morning. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about 60 of us. What if 60 of us just said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I love God enough that, that I just want everything he has for me and for my city. And what if we just said, I'm going to do it. Here's what would happen. Our, our, this, this place would, would blow up because all around us are people who have been experiencing what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. And you and I have the answer to freedom. It's Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. Think of yourself like this. Think of yourself like one starving man showing another starving man where to find a loaf of bread. That's what you are. That's what I am. We're just people who have found a little bit of bread and what if we just started to invite? I, I, believe, I believe marriages would start to heal all around us because people would encounter the power of love. I believe that uh, friendships would be restored. I believe addictions would be broken. I, I believe that people would be better employees and better bosses, better parents and better kids. I think compassion would be unleashed around our city because we would see not 60, but 600 people coming to church on Sunday night and this place would be full. Listen, we got a couple hundred more chairs in the back. I can throw them out. Maybe next week I'll just throw them all out. And because we did that, we wouldn't have 150 shoe boxes. We'd have 1,500 shoe boxes. We wouldn't have 210 turkeys. We'd have 2,000 turkeys. I mean, think about the compassion we could unleash if we just encountered God like that and we invited people 
into it. And, and here's what I want to do, if you'll do this with me. And I, I don't know if you will. I don't know if you're hearing this and you're just checking out or if you're really engaging with me. But for the next couple months, would you be willing to be big-ask people? Who everyone you saw, all the time, you're just constantly thinking, how can I bring up God? How can I bring up faith? How, how can I ask them to come and encounter him? Would you be willing to do it? We have those connect cards, and, and I, I want you to mark down, if you're willing to be a, a, a big-ask Christian, I want you to mark it on your connect card. Right there at the bottom, it says, I'm going to be a big-ask follower of Jesus. Don't mark it unless you're willing, just for the next couple months. Just, let's just see what happens. We're a church plant. We're trying something new. Let's just see what happens. For the next couple months, you just invite everybody you see to church. Everybody. You become that crazy person that's always inviting people to church. And then you watch people's lives get transformed, and then you fall deeper in love with God because you're seeing transformation happen. If you'd be willing to do that, mark on your card, I'm going to be a big-ask follower of Jesus, and I'm going to be praying with you, and I can guarantee you, I can promise you this, I'm going to be inviting everybody I see to church. And I believe in a few months, God is just going to take what we're doing, this little thing that we're trying, and he's just going to bless the heck out of it. Maybe you're here tonight and this whole thing is new to you. You're not a Jesus follower. You're not a Christian. Hey, I want you, I want you to know maybe, maybe uh, you've already caught this. We created this space for you. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason why we do all these things. Listen, we do them all for God because we love God, but we created this space so that you could come and encounter him. And if you've never had uh, that type of experience, had a first-time relationship with Jesus where you made him your personal Lord and Savior, you can do that tonight. In just a second, I'm going to pray a prayer, and the worship team's going to come and sing. And, and basically, my prayer is simply this uh, for you, that you would invite God to be your Lord and your Savior, the one that guides your life and leads you and gives you the power to be the person you were created to be. And if you've never made that decision, you can repeat that prayer after me, and you can pray that. Maybe you're here tonight, and you need to recommit yourself to God, because God's become this distant thing over in the corner. It's not you want to bring him back to the center of your life and you want to follow him and you want to invite his spirit to guide you and lead you as you walk with him. If that's you, you can mark down your card and you can pray with me too. Let's pray. Lord, I ask uh, that you would help each of us not just to know your love at a cognitive head level, but to know your love at a deep experiential heart level. To, to know and to experience a relationship with you that, that pulls us in, that draws us in, that calls us to a place of incredible intimacy, and then that guides us to walk with you, keeping in step with your Spirit. Lord, would you, would you do that for each of my friends tonight? Would you help us to see this thing that we're doing, not just as another option or another service that we come to, but as a launch, a church plant, a a movement that you're doing to draw our city into you. And would you help us, Jesus, to be men and women who make the big ask that we would invite everybody we see to come and encounter you because we found something in you. We found life and freedom and truth and healing, and we want that so deeply for our friends. So would you break our hearts uh, for people who don't yet know you because I know your heart breaks for them. And as we continue to pray, if you're here tonight and you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where you're walking with him, you, you know that he's forgiven you, and uh, you have this intimate, deep, real 
relational encounter with him. Not religion, not rules, but a relationship. If you've never entered into that kind of relationship, you can pray this simple prayer with me. You can repeat these words either in your head or you can whisper them out loud. You say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross to take the penalty for my sin and that you rose from the dead, breaking the power of sin and death and that you made a way for me to have a relationship with you. And tonight, Lord, tonight I say yes. Yes, I want this relationship and yes, I want you. So would you come, God, and would you fill me with your spirit? And would you guide me, Lord? And would you use me? Use me to love people. Use me to care for people. Use me to reach people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.